I just do what I can to prove that the voice is a liar. So if the voice is saying, you're not good at this, then I'll read some previous work that I've written and been like, no, actually, I am good at this. This is a really great essay. This is Finding the Throughline, the show that gives you inside access to honest conversations about the creative process. I'm Kate Hanley. Today's guest is journalist, essayist, and author Minda Honey. As a refresher, Minda's debut memoir, The Heartbreak Years, came out in October 2023, and her essays have appeared in all kinds of amazing places, including Harper's Bazaar, The Guardian, Teen Vogue, and The Washington Post. Today, I'm talking with Minda about what I call inner stuff, the thoughts, ideas, and attitudes that affect your work, even if you're not fully conscious of it. So, Minda, I'm curious, does creating work and then share it with the world, so kind of two different parts of the process, right, do they come easily to you? At this point, yes. I have published enough things to know that the things that I'm most concerned about when I publish either never come to fruition or will result in messages from people who are like, you've articulated this thing that I've struggled to articulate. And so being able to give people the words that they need to better understand themselves is a really great byproduct of writing an essay that helps me better understand myself. So I do think that it has become easier for me. I also feel like, you know, this early wave of first person essays was very much, there weren't a lot of boundaries. There's a lot of self-exploitation going on. And I think we've arrived in a gentler space in a more protective space. And so writers are talking a lot more about how you can write about yourself without exploiting yourself or your experiences or If you are uncomfortable putting something out in the world, hit pause on it, put it in a drawer, think it over before you put it out there. And like, that's totally okay too. So I've certainly have pieces that I ultimately like pulled from the book because I decided I just wasn't ready for it to exist in the world. or I wasn't ready to have a conversation with other people about how they felt about what I felt. And that's all right as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I haven't really pondered that concept, or I think encountered it, the self-exploitation idea. And I'm going to look into that some more. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm curious if there's a part of any part of sharing your work or creating your work that is difficult for you or just kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies that you had to get over in some way. Oh my gosh. When they tell you not to read the reviews, don't read the reviews. (laughs) (laughs) I guess like when I thought about putting the book out in the world, I really had a certain reader in mind and I was expecting feedback from those readers. What I did not realize were that people that you would never expect to read and or like your book would feel the need to read your book and then let you know that they did not like it. Like (laughs) I've received so many negative reviews from people who read a book called The Heartbreak Years about dating in your 20s that were very upset that this book included drinking and sex. You know, one reviewer was like, Minda was not having a good time. And it's like, well, the book is called The Heartbreak Years. I don't know like how we could have made it any clearer. So like that was something that I hadn't anticipated. Like, you know, I there there's there are so many books that are not my cup of tea. 
And I would never read a book about the atrocities of World War One, and then like leave a review that was like, this was depressing and like boring or like, what you know what I'm saying? Because I know going into it, I am not the audience for this book. But I guess not everyone operates that way. So that was definitely a new terrain for me to have to, to have to traverse as a published author. Yeah. Unfortunately, that seems to be more and more part of it, right? It's like dealing with kind of vitriol. How are you going to respond to that? How do you stay out of the reviews? I mean, it's not easy, I imagine. It is not easy. And I have not done a very good job at it. But I just have to also remember for like, every person like that, there are three people who are like, yes, this book found me at the right time. Or I wish I had had this book 20 years ago. Or there's a Black woman therapist in New York whose primary demographic are teen girls of color who are experiencing street harassment. And now she's going to be using my book in her practice because a lot of those young women do not have the words for what they're experiencing. And so this book is going to help them. I've had, you know, elderly white women who've reached out to me and said, like, I've been married for 40 years with four kids. And this book really resonated with me. And also, like, I better understand now, like the Black experience in America, which was not something I set out to do when I wrote my book about dating. But if I can solve racism in America as well, like, you know, so be it. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. What kinds of things does your inner critic love to tell you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it likes to say, you know, like, no one's going to read this. Nobody cares about this. You're not good at this. I primarily write nonfiction. I'm very hesitant to step out into other genres because it's really hard to to not be good at something. (laughs) Especially after you've become good at something that's kind of like adjacent or one step removed. And it's hard to be a beginner. It's hard to to also just acknowledge like this isn't good and that's okay. Like that's what revision's for. But yeah, that's those are the sorts of things that my inner critic wants to say or, you know, or, oh, you're never going to accomplish anything with this or, oh, this is like a waste of time. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Have you found a way to approach or work with that voice or put that voice in context so that it clearly is not stopping you? And it's still there, right? It doesn't go away. So I'm curious, like, how do you work with it? I just do what I can to prove that the voice is a liar. So if the voice is saying, you're not good at this, then I'll read some previous work that I've written and been like, no, actually, I am good at this. This is a really great essay. Or no one's going to care about that. Maybe I'll go back and read some positive responses to my work. And sometimes like if it's just like a very heavy inner critic day and that cloud won't lift, I will just succumb to it and be like, you know what? Today is not the day for writing. Let me go take a walk. Let me go do something that does feel good in the moment. And I'll come back to this another day when my spirits are higher. So I think you're not going to have a problem with this question. How old are you? I am 38. I'll be 39 in a few weeks. 
Okay. By the time this episode airs, you will be. Yes. My birthday is January 4th. So yes. Okay. Great. So how do you think the age that you are relates to what you think is possible for yourself? That's a good question. I think by this age, when you're nearly 40, you've kind of discovered and realized that you have to live the life that's set before you and that you can't really live according to some blueprint or some cookie cutter life. And you, or at least for me, I'm no longer trying to do that. Like I'm just trying to find out like what is fulfilling to me, what brings me joy, what brings me happy outside of all the things that I've been told that I should want. Because at this point, I've tried enough of those things or dedicated enough of my time to trying those things and realizing that either they're not going to work for me or that they're not right for me. And so I think by this age, it's easier to let those things go. Is there a way that you feel maybe out of step with your peer group or like, you know, we can do a lot of identifying by generation and, oh, well, for me, I'm Gen X. And so we think this, that type of thing, or you're millennial. I'm just curious, like those designations don't always fit. And I'm curious about the ways that we feel like we're not, we don't really like jive with that. So. Yes. And I think that millennials, like, of course, like we have a certain reputation, but then there are pockets. So I'm a black Southern millennial. Like I grew up in the South. I grew up in Kentucky. So most of the people I know are are married with children. Overall, I don't know necessarily that that's true for all millennials. Like there's a significant chunk of us that are unmarried or a significant, probably larger than any generation preceding us, chunk of us that do not have children. But because I'm in this like pocket of the South where people do get married young, people do have children early. I do feel like an anomaly. I feel out of step with that. I also, I've always been a job hopper. Ever since I first started working, I would work like six, seven different jobs a year to the point that my father refused to keep doing my taxes because he hated how I had so many (laughs) W-2s. So I had to start doing my own taxes at 17. And, you know, we've been taught that that will hold you back. And now the data is coming out like, no, that's actually how you get the biggest salary increases. (laughs) And I've, you know, knock on wood thus far, not really experienced any detriment to kind of like going, following my whim when it comes to having to make a living in this world. So I highly encourage it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that you point that out that like hopping from job to job is actually much more, in in fact, gives you more stability in a way than just like devoting yourself to one company or one job. Are there other kind of collective things that you were taught that you just feel like are total BS? I think I talked a little bit about this when I was interviewed by Cheryl Strayed. You know, I was like raised that crying will get you nowhere. So I ultimately, though, realized in life that sometimes you just need to have a good cry. (laughs) And then if you don't cry it out, those feelings don't necessarily, it's not like those feelings disappear. Like they're just kind of rambling around inside you. So a lot of the emotional growth that I've had to do over the years is really like acknowledging that I have feelings (laughs) and that those feelings matter 
and having conversations with people about my feelings and even harder about their feelings about my feelings. You know, that can be very cringe inducing, but I've just realized that you will have so much more internal peace if you have the hard conversations. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I am brave enough to have them always, but I can say that it's absolutely the right way to go about it. Yeah. As you've gone through the process of like getting to know yourself and giving yourself like an understanding of who you are in this world, are there tools or I don't know, tests or like there's introvert, extrovert, there's astrology, there's all kinds of like personality tests out there. Is there anything you've encountered that you feel like has, has been a useful tool for you? Sure. I mean, I definitely get into astrology, tarot. I think when you read your own cards, you're really just kind of, it's just really a tool to better kind of like analyze and like provide introspection for like where you are in that moment based on how you interpret the cards that you pull for yourself. I am also into human design, which is kind of like a combination of like a lot of different things, but I'm a manifester, a five, one manifester. And this has been really helpful to me because I am the type of person that's good at getting things going and launching things. You know, I've mentioned on my, in my bio, I, I, during the pandemic, I launched a publication, a competitor to the local alt weekly taunt. And when I announced that I was going to do it, I was able to raise 40 grand very quickly to pay writers from the very beginning. And then I sunset it like a year later and people were kind of like, what? No, like you got to keep it going. I keep going. But manifestors were great at getting things going. We're not great at sustaining things. And so you have to know that about yourself, that you have the energy to launch something, but you don't have the energy to sustain and that you only have a certain amount of energy. So, you know, I've just exuded a ton of energy launching a book into the world, being on podcasts, doing all these interviews, going on book tour. And so now, because I know this about myself, I know that now is like a time of rest. It's like a winter, even if I'm in Mexico skipping winter, but it's a time to like take in. So to read, to experience things to like really like fill myself back up for when it's time to sit down and write again, or when it's time to do something publicly again. So human design has really helped me better understand myself. I'm also the type of manifester I am is a splenic manifester, which means that I'm very intuitive, but that the message, the insight is like a flash. So either I catch it or I don't. (laughs) And when I catch it, I should act on it. And, you know, I'm starting to, learn more and more that I should trust my intuition more and more. And of course, like, you know, like human design is just like astrology. It's, you know, quote unquote made up and it is what you make of it. But I have personally found it to be helpful. Very cool. All right. Well, that is the end of this section of the Finding the Throughline interview with my guest, Minda Honey. I hope that you will come back on Friday to hear part three, because that is where we're going to start peeking at what is currently rising and just around the bend for Minda. Finding the Throughline airs one interview per week, broken up into three episodes that come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for free. 
Skip the ads and get each interview in one longer episode by becoming a paid subscriber at katehanley.substack.com. Even if you aren't ready to get out your wallet just yet, become a free subscriber at katehanley.substack.com and receive the full show notes with links to everything my guests and I cover. However you listen, thank you. Finding the Throughline is edited by Sound Advice Strategies. Connect with me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. Here's a little preview of what's to come in part three of this interview. And it's like, well, dang, if Andre 3000, one of the greatest rappers of all time, can be like, you know what? I'm going to pick up the flute. I'm going to be like a total newbie at this thing. And then also release that album into the world because he is giving us the art that he was called to create versus the art that we are calling on him to create. Like to me as a creative, that is so immensely and intensely inspiring. I'm Kate Hanley, and this is Finding the Throughline. More to come on Friday.